Hello, thank you for joining me on Humanities Radio. I'm Janet Cunningham with the University of Utah College of Humanities, and today we're talking about cybersecurity and the 2020 presidential election. Sean Lawson, Associate Professor of Communication and author of Cybersecurity Discourse in the United States, is with me to talk about potential cybersecurity hacks, who is behind them, and how they're being addressed. So first of all, we're just going to jump right in. What what type of cybersecurity threats are we facing during the 2020 election? Yeah, so thanks for having me. Um, happy to happy to talk to you about this. Of course, uh, you know, what I'm going to share with you here is just based on my research as an academic researcher. Um, definitely not speaking, you know, on behalf of the university or anything like that. And of course, I don't have access to classified information or anything like that. I'm just talking based on my research and what's in the public domain. And so um, what kind of cybersecurity threats are we facing to the election in 2020? Unfortunately, there's quite a, there's quite a few. <laughs> there's quite a few to talk about. Uh, most obvious, the most obvious threat that I think we've probably all heard of and maybe thought about is the potential for hackers breaking in to elect, election systems and directly changing votes. And that's certainly a possibility, but there are actually um, quite a few other threats that are that are possible and probably more likely than um, directly uh, hackers, you know, breaking in and changing votes. And those sort of fall into a number of main categories. First would be threats to the voting system themselves. So that's sort of what we're talking about. We're talking about hackers breaking in and changing votes directly. Um, and that can include a number of things like um, hacking of uh, voter rolls to remove voters or preventing uh, people from voting. Um, so we already know from um, an NSA whistleblower, Reality Winner, from a few years ago that the Russians hacked into systems of a company that provides voter registration software, which is also sometimes called poll book software. Um, and this company, VR Solutions, provides this software to many counties around the United States. And then uh, a couple years later, in April 2019, the Senate Intelligence uh, Committee found that Russian hackers uh, didn't just hack that company, VR system, but they actually managed to go beyond that and access voter roll systems in at least two counties in Florida. Um, and we're in the position to potentially uh, change or delete voter registration information. And so uh, we don't have good information in the public domain that they actually went through with doing that, um, but we do know that they were in a position to do that. And of course, uh, Bob Woodward's book that came out last week sort of provided a little bit more detail, uh, sort of confirming that story as well. So that's one possibility. Another possibility in terms of direct cybersecurity threats against election systems, voting systems themselves, is the potential for hacking the reporting systems um, to cause those systems to report false results um, or to make those systems unusable. And so again, we know that the Russians have done this in the past in Ukraine in particular in 2014, where they, um, compromised the website of Ukraine Central Election Commission and changed the election results that were presented on the website. So in this case, um, you know, they're not really changing the votes. The votes were still correct and were tallied correctly. They were just changing the website that uh, reports the votes. Um, so that's, but that's concerning in and of itself, right? That could lend, uh, you know, a lot of confusion and chaos. Um, and so concerning in that regard is that We've seen reports in the last week of a company called Tyler Technologies 
uh, in the U.S. that sells and provides um, uh, vote reporting and aggregating um, software to at least 20 different uh, counties around the U.S. was hacked with ransomware and that the hackers then went on to try to um, hack some of the customers of that company. And so we don't fully know yet what the implications of that will be, but it appears that somebody, whether it's a nation state actor or perhaps criminals, are at least hacking that company and trying to hack their customers. Um, and so there's a couple of different variations on this theme of um, potentially messing with the reporting of results. Um, in addition to, you know, maybe hacking the systems that are used to aggregate and report the results officially within the election system between like polling places and the secretaries of state of a particular state, for example, you could also see um, bad actors hacking the websites that report the results publicly. So again, this is sort of the Ukraine example from 2014. So again, in that situation, the votes might be there and they might not actually be changed. It just might be that the, um, the public reporting of the votes uh, could be affected um, through, um, you know, um, uh, malicious activities against uh, the websites that report it. Another potential malicious activity against those kind of websites would be what's called um, a denial of service attack, which is where you would essentially just flood those websites with false traffic, with fake traffic to overwhelm them and cause the website to crash so that it couldn't actually report the results because nobody would be able to get to the website. Um, you know, beyond that, there are threats to um, election systems that aren't necessarily related to voting, right? So this could be the hacking and leaking of data from um, the campaigns themselves to undermine the candidate by publicizing sensitive internal communications from the campaign. Of course, this is precisely what happened in 2016 with Hillary Clinton. Um, but there are other variants of this that we could see and that we have seen um, happen in other countries in the past. And these include things like those denial of service attacks that I talked about a minute ago or ransomware attacks where you uh, essentially um, put malware on somebody's computer that um, locks their computer, locks all their files until they pay the ransom and they can't get their data back. Um, we could potentially see that kind of thing done against um, the campaign systems like the, the, the Trump campaign or against uh, the Biden campaign such that it would destroy or deny them access to critical campaign data that they need to, to carry out their campaign. And so again, we've seen examples of this in the past, specifically from the Russians, once again, um, who have used this technique against opposition candidates um, in neighboring countries like Belarus and, and Ukraine. And then of course there are um, uh, you know, there are other options to, uh, you know, other systems, um, you know, news, news sites and stuff like that. Uh, but those are the main, I think, threats that we're probably looking at when it comes to, you know, direct sort of attacks against uh, election systems themselves. So, I mean, it sounds like there are so many different ways that hackers could impact the election. So, how is this being addressed or how is it being prevented? How are, how are states and the government, what are they doing to prevent this from happening? Because it seems like the hacking could be done on so many different levels that, I mean, it needs to be addressed at, at each of these points. So it's really a patchwork of response. Uh, unfortunately, there really hasn't been 
in my opinion anyway, enough of a, a coordinated national response to try to deal with this issue since uh, 2016. Um, and, and really, since before then, I mean, this has been a problem for a long time, um, but it's been something that people have been uh, acutely aware of, obviously, since 2016. Um, but that said, that's not to say that nothing is being done. So individual states are variously, um, you know, taking their own actions to try to uh, ensure the security of their um, election systems. Um, they are getting help in that from the federal government, in particular from an agency within the Department Department of Homeland Security, which is the uh, Cyber Security and Infrastructure Security Agency, uh, is doing a lot of work with states uh, to help them secure their election systems at a very you know technical level, like making sure that you know systems aren't connected to the internet and that their software is up to date and that you know only you know the right people have access to the systems and that they're using strong passwords and you know all of, all of those kinds of technical things. So that's that's some of what's going on. Um, you know, some of the cybersecurity threats that we see um, during during the election are really not hacking related or not directed necessarily against uh, voting systems themselves, but just involve uh, disinformation and propaganda campaigns and conspiracy theories and stuff like that on social media platforms. So of course, you know, some of the social media platforms are trying to do uh, to, trying to take some actions to um, to help in that regard, of course, you know, they're all, they're all getting a lot of criticism for, you know, potentially not doing enough or for doing the wrong things. Um, but they are trying to um, take some action to prevent that sort of thing. So we've seen lots of reports from Facebook and Twitter in the last several weeks of them taking down networks of accounts that are engaged in what they call inauthentic behavior that are working in coordination to, you know, promote disinformation and, and to sow discord or to promote violence or, or things like that. So they're, they're taking down a lot of those types of accounts um, when they can. Uh, we're also seeing examples of them flagging disinformation. Um, Facebook has said that they are not going to allow uh, either candidate to post ads um, the day after the election declaring victory uh, because they know that it might take a while to count the votes. And so they're trying to prevent the spread of that kind of disinformation. And so those, those are some things that the social media platforms are doing. And then I'm, I'm certain that there are things going on behind the scenes that we don't know about, um, that are, that are secret. Um, so that would be in particular U.S. Cyber Command, which is, uh, the U.S. military's, um, cyber warfare arm. Um, I guarantee you they are, um, taking a role in this and they're probably playing the role of reaching out um, into Russian, Chinese, Iranian, North Korean systems as appropriate um, to try to prevent any kind of attacks at the source. Um, so this is what they call, um, in some cases, well, they used to call it active defense. Um, now they have a new term for it. Um, I think they're calling it persistent engagement these days. Um, but basically, it's the idea of we're going to defend ourselves by going out and taking preemptive action against uh, the bad guys being in their networks, seeing what they're doing as they're planning to do it, and then taking action to try to prevent them. And so Cyber Command made headlines during the election in 2018 uh, because they were um, engaged in those kinds of activities uh, against Russian hacker hackers and Russian trolls uh, to try to prevent them from spreading disinformation and from um, interfering in the election. So that's just uh, just a taste of what we know about that that is uh, going on or is likely going on but there's you know there's probably a lot more that is going on that we that we don't know about 
So you briefly mentioned some of these kind of non-voting threats. Can you go into a little bit more detail on what those threats are and their potential impact on the election? Because I know we all saw them, or most of us are familiar with some of these things that happened in 2016. But if you could give a little bit more detail about the non-voting threats. Yeah. Um, so, so threats, you know, cybersecurity threats that are related to the election that go beyond voting systems. Um, these include things like I mentioned before, you know, uh, hacking and uh, denial of service or ransomware against uh, campaigns. So that's election related, but not necessarily voting related, right? Uh, but then there are also threats to non-election and non-specific voting systems, right? So this would be things like hacking and changing data or posting false stories on news sites or social media feeds of the news sites themselves. And so we've actually seen this in the past with the Syrian Electronic Army, which is sort of a cyber vigilante group in Syria uh, during the Syrian civil war, um, where they hacked into different uh, news sites and posted false stories. Uh, we also had the incident a couple months ago where a lot of uh, prominent people had their Twitter accounts hacked to promote a Bitcoin scam. Um, and so one could only imagine if that happened and it was, uh, you know, uh, instead of sending out tweets about Bitcoin scams from prominent people or organization um, Twitter accounts, uh, you know, they were posting uh, disinformation about the campaign or the, uh, the election, the vote. That could be a huge problem. Uh, the U.S. military in the past has even had uh, some of their Twitter accounts hacked uh, and used to post uh, information by uh, people associated with ISIS at one point. And so we know that all of these kinds of things are possible. So that's one thing. Um, there's also the possibility for hacking of non-governmental organization and think tanks that are sort of adjacent to the political process and the political campaigns in the U.S. So this could involve targeting individuals or organizations believed to be in contact with the campaigns as a way of gathering intelligence or of um, social engineering, right? Conning someone in the campaign by using the hacked email of a known associate in an NGO or a think tank. And so Microsoft actually uh, already reported on these kinds of attacks uh, that are on the rise uh, in a report that came out just last week. And then uh, another possibility is um, hacking to cause maybe localized power outages to disrupt transportation, communications, and voting. Now, I'll say there's not a whole lot of evidence for this one related to elections in particular. Um, and so I'm just throwing this out as something that is possible. I don't think this is necessarily likely. And there's not a whole lot of evidence that this is a thing that's going to happen, but it is certainly possible. So, you know, we've had a lot of concern in the U.S. for decades now about power grids being taken down by um, cyber attacks. And that's actually one of the things I talk about in my recent book a lot is that fear, that persistent fear that we have and how it's, it's largely been misplaced. Um, but there have been smaller, more localized cyber attacks against uh, power grids that have had effects on a, on a smaller, more limited basis. And so, again, we see this from Russia against Ukraine twice, once in December 2015 and again in December 2016, where they managed to cause uh, power outages for a small group of people for a limited amount of time. So that doesn't do a whole lot, like, strategically, you know, um, but... Potentially, if, if a bad actor used that kind of attack um, to take out power in a, in a major city in a swing state for a certain number of hours on Election Day, then that, that kind of an attack could potentially have an effect 
um, you know, it wouldn't have a lot of an effect just on a random day if the power goes out for five hours, right? That's not going to have that much of an effect. That, that kind of thing happens all the time from weather or animals jumping in transformers or, or whatever. Power goes out all the time for lots of reasons. Um, but a small power outage timed just right on election day in a city in a swing state, well, that could potentially have an impact. So again, I'm not saying that's, that's going to happen or that there's even particularly good evidence for that, but it's possible. It's possible. And then, of course, there's all of the non-hacking threats that um, we all know about since 2016, right? Um, and so, you know, we have had a tendency in the U.S. to focus on and be more concerned about these so-called cyber infrastructure threats, threats to the power grid or threats to the election systems, the voting systems themselves. Um, but in the past, we made the mistake of sort of downplaying the non-hacking, the sort of non-technical cybersecurity threats to elections. And these include things like the spread of dis disinformation about voter fraud, uh, about the results of voting, et cetera, through social media posts or through malicious advertising. So just last week, the FBI and the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, uh, CISA, warned about this very possibility warning that foreign actors and cyber criminals are likely to spread disinformation regarding the election results. We also see the possibility for false claims about hacking of election systems. And the false claims of hacking could be as bad as actual hacking. And so again, the FBI and CISA warned just this week, just um, on Monday, I believe, about the possibility for false claims of hacked voter information that could cast doubt on the election. And so, in fact, we may have actually already seen an example of this with reports a month or two ago about voter data supposedly stolen by Russian cyber criminals and dumped on the dark web. But later it turns out that the data was already available online and was most likely either purchased or just aggregated from free online sources uh, or some combination of those, right? But the mere report that Russia may have stolen voter data caused a panic for a little while. Um, and then the final two things that we see is the possibility for malicious use of targeted ads for voter suppression. We already saw that in the past um, in 2016 with uh, a company called Cambridge Analytica. Um, and in fact, there was just an investigative report that came out two days ago from Channel 4 in the UK showing how specifically Cambridge Analytica used targeted advertising on Facebook to try to prevent African-Americans from coming out and voting. And then finally, the last sort of non-hacking threat would be uh, the possibility for election-related cybercrime or harassment. And so Forbes recently reported on a campaign to collect personal information from Trump voters, potentially as a pretext for credit card fraud, uh, by offering free Trump yard signs. And so they basically sent out people emails that say, hey, you want a free Trump yard sign? Fill out this form. Give us all this information about yourself. And there was no there was no free sign. They were just collecting information potentially for um, scamming purposes uh, later. And then the final thing in this category would be that, you know, as things become more contentious, potentially even violent in the in the days following the election, um, we could see more cases of online harassment of what's called doxing, where people go out and aggregate as much of your personal information about you as they can and then uh, report it to other people to try to encourage others to uh, harass you. Um, we already see this used as a regular tactic by the more fringe elements on both sides, from Antifa on the left to groups like the Proud Boys and others on the right. And so if the confrontations between those groups 
you know, begin to draw in wider groups of the general public, those kinds of online harassment techniques and, and violations of people's privacy um, could, could become a wider spread phenomenon and, and begin to impact more people. Okay, Sean. So this, all of this sounds fairly scary to me. Um, there's a lot of potential things that could happen um, just between, you know, the simple, dis- not, not that it's simple, but from disinformation on social media to um, someone hacking in to change votes. So let's end on a note of what, as individual citizens, can we do about these threats, if anything? And what should we do about these threats? Right. So, yeah, so there's a lot that's going on, right? Um, and and it, it, it can sound rather discouraging. Um, but the way I look at it is, in fact, all of these these threats, all of these potential ways that things can go wrong should actually be an encouragement, should actually be the biggest motivator we've ever had um, to get out and actually vote and to participate. You know, because these kinds of techniques, um, they're not going to, bad actors are not going to be able to do um, all of these kinds of techniques or even a small number of these techniques on a wide scale. And that's because our systems in the U.S. are so decentralized, right? Every state runs its own elections and they're all unique in some way. Um, they all have their own sort of systems and laws. They, you know, they do all buy a lot of the same kind of voting machines and software and stuff like that. And that does create a vulnerability. Um, but each state is unique in some way. And so one of the things about cyber attacks is they actually take a lot of effort uh, to plan, especially if you're really going to have an impact. There, you know, there's a there's a myth that cyber attacks are cheap and easy, and any kid in a basement can do it. That is not correct. Um, really effective cyber attacks um, at a nation state level that are really meant to cause widespread damage or disruption um, are expensive. They take time to plan. And even, even in those cases with some of the most um, successful attacks that we've seen thus far, the most widespread and successful, um, they've only been, you know, a little bit successful, right? Um, and so I think, I think what that leads me to as a conclusion is we have to overwhelm the ability of bad actors um, to do what they might be planning to do by all of us participating, by all of us getting out there and voting, right? The fewer people that vote, um, you know, a 1% difference can have more of an impact um, if they're only able to have a small, you know, make a small change. Well, if they can make a small change, but the overall number of people voting is also very small, then, then that could be a much bigger impact for them, right? But if we all get out there and we do our part and we vote, 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 um, even if we've never done it before, I think we have a chance of potentially overwhelming just with sheer numbers through attrition um, any kind of disruption that, uh, that folks might want to cause. So I would say don't take the message you know, from any of this that um, it doesn't matter, it's all corrupted to begin with and there's nothing we can do. Instead, take the message of it matters now more than ever. If you've never voted before, now is the time. Get out and do it. And do it as early as possible, either by mail or in person. Go and do it as early as possible, just in case there are delays. 
um, just in case, you know, there are delays just because there's so many votes to count and, you know, we're in a time of COVID and there's going to be a lot of mail-in voting. Um, but also do it early just in case there's going to be disruptions, right, to try to hopefully get out ahead of those disruptions um, and, and overwhelm with uh, positive force. Um, and so those disruptions will have less of an impact. Um, but the other thing to know and be aware of is that the count of votes will likely take some time this year. I know everybody keeps saying that, but we absolutely have to understand that. It's going to take some time. We are not likely to know on uh, November 3rd. Maybe uh, there's a lot of early votes coming in and people are already, you know, doing some counting of those mail-in votes in, in, in several states. So we, we could potentially know something on 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 the third, but it, it's probably not likely. So be skeptical of any uh, definitive claims that you hear on the third of victory. Um, and then, you know, when you're vetting those claims, be sure to get your information from valid sources like state election officials. Um, and don't rely on, you know, some random post that you saw on Facebook or Twitter or whatever. Um, so those would be those would be my suggestions that we have to get out and participate even more than we ever had to before. Um, be skeptical of claims of uh, victory or defeat on election night um, and vet any claims, whether it's on election night or after against valid sources. I think that's great advice. And it's really actually simple advice. You know, get out and vote. Make sure you're knowing where your information comes from. These are really simple things that we can do that could impact whatever potential threats could potent, could potentially happen in during our election this year. Right, right. I mean, look, the people the people who want to engage in bad acts, um, they're sort of counting on people staying home, right? And in fact, with the use of um, you know malicious targeted advertising that we saw in 2016. That was actually one of the goals of the malicious advertising was getting certain people to stay home and not participate, right? So the best thing we can do is not give that very basic thing to them, right? There's a lot about this that, quite frankly, as individuals, we cannot control. But what we can control is what we do as individuals, right? And what we can do is we cannot give them the lack of participation that they want. And that means vote. Get out there and participate. Uh, like you never have before. Perfect ending note. Thank you so much, Sean. Get out and vote. That was Sean Lawson, Associate Professor of Communication. For more information about the College of Humanities, please visit humanities.utah.edu.